with me this morning in your Bible to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to read verses 12 through to 18. <coughs> Philippians chapter 2, verse 12, and we'll read through to 18. I encourage you to follow in your own copy of the Scriptures. Let us not only hear the word of God, but let's see the word of God. <coughs> let's remember this morning that all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings, that ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither laboured in vain. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. For the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. Amen. We know the Lord will stamp with his own approval and blessing this reading of his own infallible and inerrant word. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 2 and in the verse 12. And my theme today is the sanctification of of every true believer in Christ. Now, last week I preached on the theme, the exaltation of Christ, how that Christ's exaltation was a reward from his heavenly Father for his life of perfect obedience on earth. Remember Christ perfectly obeyed the law of God, how he was active in that obedience in life, Remember he said, I do always those things that please the Father. And how he was active in that obedience unto death, even the death of the cross. And remember his exaltation, it covers his resurrection, his ascension to glory, his position of being invited to sit at the Father's right hand, his whole work of intercession as our great, glorious, gracious high priest, and his coming again to judge the world in righteousness on the last day. There was a time when Christ was hated, despised, when he was the object of ridicule, when he was nailed to the tree, but now he has been given a name that's above every name. 
Now in the day to come, the whole of heaven and every knee in earth and every knee under the earth are going to bow down and declare to the glory of God the Father a great truth that Jesus Christ is Lord. See, the Apostle Paul wanted this church in Philippi to think of Christ, who he is, what he's like and what he's done. And we have a right to ask this morning, as we think of Christ, who is Jesus Christ? Of course, the atheists and the agnostics of the world believe that Christ is but to them an imaginary friend whom we call upon in times of need and trouble. Others see him as a great religious figure in the world, setting a good example. And you've heard of the example of Christ theory it's alive and well we we heard about it yesterday during the marriage ceremony of harry and megan that christ lived a a life of self-sacrifice a life of self-denial and what you must do then is by your own strength and power you you follow that example others look upon christ as a good man a great man A gracious man. A good Jew who lived and died, we're told. But I want to tell you, he was more. Who is Jesus Christ? At the heart of the Christian revelation, it is this, that God was manifest in the flesh. And when we think of Christ, when we take his name into our minds and have it upon our lips, let's remember this morning that he was the God-man. What we have in Philippians 2 verses 5 to 11 is a great theological statement about the person and work of Christ, who Christ is, what Jesus Christ did, and where Jesus Christ is now, and and why. And of course this teaching is very profound. Let's remember the context. Paul is addressing the practical problems in the life of the church at Philippi, the problem of discord, the problem of disunity. He's addressing the practical needs of the life of individual believers. And he wants them individually, as collectively as a church, to possess the attitude and the mind of Christ. He's saying, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Fill your mind with the steps of his humiliation. Fill your mind with the fact that he was obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You see, why did Christ die? He died more than simply to set a a good example. Because whenever he died the death of the cross, remember, he offered himself a once and for all sacrifice for sin. But this man, after he'd offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down in the right hand of God. Remember, on the cross, he was the Lamb of God. And he he bore the wrath of God upon himself, that that we might understand something of his great love to us. Because the Bible says, but God commended his love toward us. And while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That that rises above this example theory and brings us to the the heart of why he he actually died. Let this blow our mind. Allow the life and death of Jesus Christ, the steps of his humiliation, 
that the fact that he's now exalted to the Father's right hand and that God has given him a name that's above every name, let that fill your mind. Let, let that stimulate you. Let, let that grip you to such a way that you personally yearn and, and desire to, to live a life of obedience unto God, a life of loving loyalty to God, a life of holiness, sanctification unto God. I want you to notice that verse 12 starts with the word wherefore. Do you see that? Wherefore. Now it means in light of this. In light of this profound teaching about Christ. Especially in light of the Saviour's humiliation and exaltation. In light of the fact that he's Lord of all, of all creation, of all the church, of every creature. Paul says there's something I want you to do in Philippi. And it's this. I want you to work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Let's read the text. Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Can I just point out, I want you to notice again the link between Christian doctrine, centering on Christ, and practical living for Christ. See, the Apostle Paul doesn't issue any practical advice in a spiritual vacuum. No, he he, he first of all sets forth a solid foundation doctrinally centering on the personal work of Christ and then he emphasizes out of that the the true practical Christianity that flows from that teaching both go together what's the purpose of doctrine if there's no duty to follow what's the profit of duty if it's not based in doctrine you see we can't have one without the other because one without the other creates an imbalance it creates errors in the Christian life. As we look at verse 12 this morning, I want you to think of the sanctification of every true believer in Christ. And this will probably be a two-part message. I have three points this morning. I'm probably only going to preach two. You'll say a hearty amen. And we'll keep the third point, and we'll make it a full sermon then for, for next week. But Here's the first point this morning. When I read this text, here's the first thing that jumped out into my mind. And I wrote it down. The possession of salvation that's inferred. If you look at the text, it says the word salvation. Notice the word salvation. Underline it in your Bible. You see, many read this text and they think straight away that this is an appeal that this suggests, that this teaches that you can work for your salvation. That you can make yourself a Christian by your own works and by your own efforts. Now, nothing could be further from the truth. I repeat, it is not an appeal to work for salvation. This text doesn't teach that. The Bible doesn't teach that. That would be contrary to the person and work of Christ. If you look at the words carefully and let the Bible speak to your heart, 
Notice what it says. It says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And that's important. Work out. It's not work for. That, that's totally different. It's not work towards or to work at. It's not for, towards, or at in the text. It's work out. Why? Because the Apostle Paul was already addressing believers. He was addressing people who were already saved by the grace of God. Who already possessed salvation. They possessed it as a divine gift that was implanted and imparted to them. Notice the start of the text. Wherefore, my beloved... The, the ones he loved in Philippi. Salvation, of course, is a theological word, very broad in its application. But if I could summarize, the Bible teaches us that every human being is perishing under the wrath of God because of their sin. And unless they're saved by grace alone, through faith alone in Christ alone, they will go into eternity bearing the penalty of their own sin and they will suffer eternal punishment in hell and the lake of fire forever. And unless you individually see your desperate condition this morning and call out to God to save you, remember Christ's mission in the world, why did he come? For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Luke 19 and 10. For the Son of Man has come to give us life, a, a ransom for many. You see, you this morning do not understand salvation if you believe that salvation is by your good works. That it's by something that you do. How many today think when they hear the word salvation, I'll come to Jesus and I'll get a happier life. I'll come to Jesus and I'll be financially better off. I'll come to Jesus and become a, a millionaire. Or I'll come to Jesus that I may simply follow in his steps. And I too, like him, will live a life of self-denial. And I live a life of self-sacrifice. And that's that example theory. Why to come to Christ? Why did Christ come? Remember, Paul says this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You see, it's me coming to Christ, not to get a happier life or a healthier life or a wealthier life. It's not me coming to Christ to simply follow him and, 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 and live a life of self-denial and embrace a whole pile of rules. It's not me coming to Christ and, and adopting a, a lifestyle of, of, of rites and ceremonies. It's me coming to Christ and bowing the knee to him and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. Lord, I need to be saved. Lord, I want to be saved. Lord, I can't save myself. The church can't save me. The pastor, the priest, 
The Pope can't save me. Lord, I need to be saved from sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure. Lord, I need to be taken out of the kingdom of darkness. I need to be brought into the kingdom of thy marvellous light. Lord, I need to be redeemed. Lord, I need my sins forgiven. Lord, I need to embrace your love to me in Christ. Have you done that? Have you come to Christ? Have you called upon him? Lord, save me, I perish like Peter. Because that's why he comes. And you don't understand salvation if you believe that salvation is by your own works. He was not writing to people who lacked salvation. They already possessed it. He was writing to a people to tell them not to work for it in order to obtain it. Rather, he was writing to a people whom God had begun the good work of salvation. They were saved. They were in Christ. And he's now telling them to work out the practical implications of that salvation they already possessed. I repeat, for the sake of emphasis this morning, and for any who listen on the internet, the Bible does not teach salvation by works. That's, that's popery this morning. The Bible is clear. For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Good works cannot gain heaven for anyone. Why? Here's the answer. No amount of good works could deal with your sin. Sin remembers the transgression of the law of God. God's holiness and justice demand penalty for that sin. And that payment was paid in full by the death and bloodshedding of Jesus Christ in the cross. And there'll be no boasters in heaven. And another reason why we reject it. And why good works can't gain heaven for anyone. It totally undermines. And does away with the, the great work of Jesus Christ in the cross. And I want to say this morning. This is a very prevalent error in our day. Thousands this morning Tens of thousands are of the opinion When they hear of salvation They think this That God will accept them Because of their good works And many believe it It's a works based gospel It's a do it yourself False religion The world religion Is built on a merit system If you're good enough You'll, you'll earn salvation it's deeply ingrained on how many thousands try to be good, try to be an honest and upright neighbour, try to go to church, to try to, to do the best that they can. And they think, I'm going to heaven because I'm a good person. I want to tell you, if you think like that this morning, you're mistaken, you're wrong, you're, you're not going to heaven. Only those who'll ever be in heaven is those who have recognized that they're lost sinners. And they're going to hell and worthy and deserving of hell. And they come to this conviction, I need to repent. I need to confess my sin to God. I need to receive Christ. I need to call on the Lord. Remember, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. 
And I asked this morning, have you called on the Lord? I asked this morning, have you cried out, Lord, wash me in the precious blood? Lord, save me. The possession of salvation that's inferred. The second thing in the text, which is really getting to the heart of the message, the progression of sanctification that's stated. You see, once we possess salvation, then it becomes necessary to work it out in practice on an everyday basis. I want you to think of the believer's attitude to sanctification. Remember the context, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. The word mind has to do with attitude. Fill your heart and mind with the attitude of Christ. You see, every Christian in Christ who has received salvation as a divine gift by faith is called now upon to do something by way of duty and by way of responsibility. Prior to salvation, they, they were passive. They had no part in that salvation. They were dead in trespasses and sin. It's pointless to tell an unregenerate man to, to, to do something. It's pointless to tell a, an unbelieving man to do something. And then that man or woman, young person, experiences the new birth. They're made a new creature in Christ. And they begin to, to, to live a new life. And they're living that new life in, in union with Christ. And this new life in Christ leads us, causes us to, to do something. Over in the book of Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 10 we read, For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. Justification and sanctification are inseparably linked together. It was John Newton that said, He whom God justifies, he also sanctifies. You see, once you're genuinely a possessor of salvation, then you will begin to pursue to a degree, not perfectly, but what you'll strive after to pursue a life of holiness. So when you have a true experience of justification, you will have begun within your soul and life a desire for holiness unto the Lord, a desire to live a, a life separated and sanctified unto God. You see, there were some in Philippi were thinking, what about our outward circumstances? It's impossible to be a believer because of these circumstances. Remember, Paul's in prison. He's absent from the church. And they're thinking, how can we go on? How could we cope? It's going to cost us our lives. We could be put into prison as well. We need Paul. And Paul is absent from us. And what's Paul saying? If you look carefully at the text, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. 
See, Paul's reminding them this. That it's not impossible to live a holy life despite outward circumstances. He, he is saying to them, you don't need me physically present with you. Your Christian life doesn't depend on me. Whether I'm absent or present, it's not me that you need. Yes, I know I am not with you, but remember Christ is with you. And, and, and your Christian life depends not on me, but on Christ. You're in union with Christ, and he is with you, despite your circumstance, despite your situation. Your Christian life, remember, doesn't depend on your friends. It doesn't depend on your pastor. It doesn't depend on your church. It doesn't depend on your circumstances. It depends entirely on Christ. Remember, we live in him. And we're to live for him and through him. And, and it's by his ability and help and that, that we obtain grace to, to work out our own salvation. All that we need to live for him. <coughs> to live out the salvation that we possess. That same salvation that we received. The help that we need to live it out to the glory of God. Despite difficult circumstances, despite a difficult situation, it's found in Christ. This is real, practical Christianity. When you think of the word work, we have to think of the word passionate. You see, it's a passionate ability. We must strive after holiness. We must hate anything that mars our Christian testimony and witness. We must fight the good fight of faith. We must put off the old man. We must follow hard after Christ. We must fight the, the desires of our flesh. See, it, the Christian life is not just a, a name. The Christian life is brought us into union with Christ so that we could be changed and transformed. And while it's true, we're passive in the new birth and passive in the act of justification, but in the realm of practical sanctification, we're exhorted to do something, but we have duty and responsibility, and we must be passionate about that duty. We must be passionate about that uh, attitude. And, 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 and while it's right that we have a, an attitude, let, let's remember we, we, we need the ability and it's a passionate ability. I want you to notice that it's a repetitive ability. It says work out. Did you notice that that is in the present tense? It's being consciously and continually active. It spans the whole of the Christian life. We'll never ever reach the point where we, we, we will not have to uh, be continually active in pursuing after sanctification and holiness. And we'll, we'll never reach the point until we're dead or, or until we're brought home to glory that, that we realize that salvation is all of God and of grace. That God is divinely sovereign, but it doesn't rule out my human responsibility. Salvation is such that I must press on with God, that I must pursue holiness until the day I die, until the day I go to heaven. It's a personal attitude as well I want you to think of the words work out, think of going to the gym some of you are familiar with the gym two or four times a week you'll go 
And in the gym, you'll, you'll exert yourself. You'll be active. You'll put in effort. You'll put your whole heart into it. You'll, you'll push yourself to the limit. You'll set new goals. You, you'll, you'll pursue what's best and good for you. And you'll, you'll exercise sorry, all for your own benefit. The Bible says bodily exercise profiteth little. And you'll be passionate. And it'll be something that you do repeatedly. And it's something that you involve yourself in as a, a personal activity. And you'll not approach it with a take it or leave it attitude. Well, it's the same with God's salvation. We must be passionate. It's repetitive. It's something personally we put our heart and soul into. This walking with God, this pursuing sanctification, this desire to engage in a life of prayer, this Bible reading, this learning about Christ, this putting sin to death. It's all tied into this attitude and, and this activity. I want you to think also, not only the believer's attitude, but the believer's activity in sanctification. When he says work, what's he referring to? He's referring to a negative and a positive. He wants us to do something. And this is what he wants us to do. It's in two parts. And listen very carefully as we come to a conclusion. Deal with indwelling sin. Every believer battles with indwelling sin every believer even though they're saved and possessors of God's salvation they battle with indwelling sin until the day they die and taken home to heaven we could call it inbred sin indwelling sin sinful nature the works of the flesh the law of sin and death while sin doesn't reign and rule over us or have dominion over us, it's still there. It dwells. It remains. And we're not to entertain it. We're, we're not to tolerate it. We're, we're, we're to, to mortify the, the members of our flesh, Paul said. And this has to deal with little sins, secret sins that nobody sees, and open sins. And we should pray for a sensitivity to sin. Pray because Satan will tempt us. His temptations are very subtle. We'll pray against coldness and backsliding. We'll pray about our proneness to wander. Coldness in our hearts. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. But there's a second activity here, a positive one, and it deals with nourishing spiritual graces. Remember 2 Peter 3, uh, 18 um, but grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ. Now what does that involve? If we're to nourish spiritual graces, well, we'll seek God's face in prayer. The psalmist says, but I gave myself to prayer. We'll surround ourselves with um, Christian friends. We'll make good use of the Lord's Day. We'll observe the Lord's Day morning and evening. We'll read our Bibles. We'll study the Scriptures. Isn't it sad that many professing Christians never open their Bible? Bibles never lift it. From one week to the next. That, that's not right. That, that certainly can't be good for your soul. If you say that you love Christ. Then, then you, 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 you'll want to learn about him. Maybe that's one of the reasons why we're so weak and feeble spiritually. You've got to feed your soul. We, we're going to make good use of the house of God. We want to fill our mind with positive things. Think in these things. Philippians 4 and 8. Saturate yourself with the mind of Christ. 
Avoid everything that's detrimental to your spiritual health. Learn what you can about God and about Christ and, and the gospel and yearn to know more, more about Jesus what I know. And ask for a fresh infilling of the Holy Spirit. That's all the activity. So let's try and adopt the attitude. Let's try and engage in this activity. I want you to think, lastly, of the believer's approach to sanctification. Notice the words fear and trembling. See, these words, of course, when people read them, they, they think automatically of losing salvation. And how many think that they're saved by grace and they've got to keep themselves. I've got to keep myself. I'm saved by grace. But, but, I, but I must keep myself unto the end or I'll lose my salvation. And of course that's not the case. We're saved by grace. We're kept by grace. We're kept by the power of God unto salvation, Peter says. Our justification is secure in Christ. Many have awful fears today. Many live in dread. Of not doing well enough. And God could end up putting me in hell. Does salvation depend on sanctification and your performance? The answer is no. God will not take salvation off you. The reference to fear and trembling is a reference to humility. It's a reference to being awe. And, and have a reverence for God and, and being in the dread of him. Remember, this is the context of living a life of Christian harmony in the house of God. Living a, a practical Christian life and having a, a humble mind. Filling your mind with the attitude of reverence and awe to God in Christ. Remember, the Bible says, serve the Lord with fear and trembling. We live in night of the day that will give an account. And our approach will be dictated by our attitude. And our attitude will determine our activity. Let me ask this morning, do we realise how hard work it is to live out the Christian life? Do we realise that it's a hard work? Are we sincere and honest in that? Have we got a know of who God is? Do, do we live in reverence for him? As the supreme living and true God? Do, do, do we live in the, the dread of him? And in those areas when we feel, when we sin, and we do sin in thought and word and deed, let's go to God. Let's be honest. Let's, let's plead the cleansing of the blood. Let's tell the Lord we've sinned against him and ask for mercy. This is serious stuff. There's no room for carelessness here. A justified believer will desire holiness. He will yearn to live a life that's sanctified because his life has been changed and transformed by the grace of God. He will have desires after God and the things of God and there'll be evidence in his life for that. And this is scriptural. This is not the ideas of men. This is not the ways of the world. This is God's will for every believer. Let's remember who we are. We're the children of God. We've been bought by the precious blood of Christ. We're not our own. Our bodies are not our own to do as we please. They belong to the Lord. And while we have many privileges and blessings, let's remember the Lord Christ to whom we'll bow the knee. And let's remember we're called. The book of Peter. Be holy. For I am holy.
That should be our approach. Now I've given you two points. And we're going to leave it there this morning. The possession of salvation. And the progression, the outworking of sanctification. Have the attitude. Engage in the activity. And let this be our approach when we come to God. A heart that fears and trembles before him. May the Lord bless you this morning. Thank you for coming and thank you for listening. And we'll have part two of this sermon then in the will of God next week.